Hello and welcome to the Bankers podcast series, Banking in Transition. I'm James King, the Bankers Europe editor, and I'm joined today by Dean Wallace, Director of Consumer Payments Modernization at ACI Worldwide. Uh, Dean, thanks for being here today. Uh, thanks for inviting me along. So ACI Worldwide has just published its annual prime time for real time report, which is kind of a big picture look at some of the key trends that are taking place um, in real time payments globally. Um, and Dean, just from a, a European perspective, what for you were some of the big, I guess, takeaways, the big conclusions from the region in light of obviously, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic o- over the last year or so? We've published this um prime time for real-time report last year we've done it again this year the data is made freely available but one of the things that actually surprised us um if we go pre-pandemic was just how much growth did actually occur more than what we expected and so to answer your question in terms of headline trends what the, the top headline trend is we expect growth in real time and digital will continue to increase i think that's the top one a lot, a lot of the data kind of points to that i think the second thing we'd say then is the um the adoption of non-physical payments so things where there's not a card or there's not a check or there's not a, a, a paper note we expect that to increase as well um what we did see last year in a matter of a few months was that kind of movement towards um adoption of the digital capabilities went from 81% adoption of the capabilities to about a 94% adoption. And that happened in just a few months driven by COVID. Usually that type of growth you would only see take about two to three years was, was our prediction. So just to give you an idea of how much that was squashed and, and accelerated. The final thing then is because of that kind of movement, we're starting to see and expect to see continued convergence of cards, so payment cards and real-time and digital payments. And um, I think in some markets around the world, what we're seeing is one starting to try and replace the other. I think in Europe, though, what we're seeing is a, like, a much stronger likelihood that they actually converge and come together. We're taking the best of both worlds and bringing them together. So things like you know, the request to pay capabilities that are out there now, um, settlement has been done real-time through tips, and that's been, you know, been pushed by the central banks. We're seeing card capabilities, but also digital wallet capabilities coming together as well. And the last point there is that there's a a new scheme going to be launched currently that the initiative has been called EPI, so it's European Payments Initiative. And that's kind of like one scheme to rule them all, brings them all together to enable rules and regulations of capabilities and technology to support consumers, merchants and, 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 and corporates alike. Dean, we spoke a couple of months ago now about, um, I guess, some of the differences across different European payments markets within national borders now, and some of the, you know, differences in terms of consumer habits, differences in terms of uh, perhaps payments infrastructure being put in place. Are we seeing also a convergence between some of the, the, I guess, the markets which are perhaps less developed and some of the markets which may be more digitally focused um, as a result of this? I mean, that that, that is a great question. It's something that we've been looking at thinking, are we going to see continued dis- disaggregation or are we going to see continued aggregation? Now, in, in Europe, there's 27 member states. So there's policies are usually trying to bring them together, but there's in, they are independent states in their own right. I would say what we've seen is the policies that have been in place for the last five, six years or so have been driving that homogenization of bringing things together. But if we take a look at three markets, just to get a feel for it, and then I'll build on from there. Take a look at France. There's a, a scoring mechanism to say how well they are 
that population is banked or unbanked. But France, is, as we'd all agree, is a very well-developed economy, uh, Western market, uh, and it scores 67 points on the un underbanked. Now, that's against an average globally of 100. So it's, you know, it's quite down, which, which means there's going to be there's increasing amount of uh, white space in that respect to get more of the underbanked banked. We're seeing there as well, I would consider quite fast growth on real-time payments. So if I just give a quick comparison, in France over the last couple of years, they've gotten up to a point last year where they processed half a billion transactions. Now, if we compare that to, to the UK, it would look not particularly good. UK last year was 2.8 billion transactions. So you think France half a billion, UK about 3 billion. But the UK has got there after 12 years of maturity. So they've nice. grown, they've continued to adopt, whereas France, They've only been live a couple of years. So they're starting to see that growth already. So we see that those, those I would say they're more than green shoots. They're, they're actively getting, getting active. I'll come back to France in a second. Germany is better banked. Um, they're about 97 points out of the, out of the 100. They're regarded as a, as a cash society, as a society that wants to do debit and pay for things with cash. But what we've seen in, in Germany over the last sort of few years has been a massive investment in sort of fintech. In, right. in, in the air and these new digital capabilities. And what we have seen while that's been happening in Germany is a very fast adoption curve on real-time payments. In fact, year and years in 2017, we've seen 218% growth in real-time payments, so massive growth. Now, the last market I mentioned is Netherlands. Now, the reason I bring in Netherlands is because it's not too far from Germany and France, but far enough where it's very independent. You know, was it 19 million people relatively small market compared to the other two giants, but typically seen as quite an innovator. Now, we've seen there 10% year-on-year growth of mobile wallets. Ideal is already the de facto digital standard for e-commerce and has been stated by a number of people publicly that maybe it's time it gets a refresh and maybe new capabilities um, to, to, to replace what's already there. I think the last point I'd say then, real-time growth in that market has been really strong and is expected to continue with a compound annual growth rate of another 30% year in year. So bringing those sort of three things together, we can start to see, look, there are new scheme developments taking place, such as the I mentioned request to pay QR code standards, and then the European Payments Initiative starts to bring all of that together and gives you the ability then to actually make those improvements to those next generation schemes that really does start to transform the way that the market starts to behave in the next sort of five to 10 years. So things like card, card transactions, rather than today going through, say, a Visa or a MasterCard, actually going through a European real-time rail that's totally owned and run by European organizations. And that's, that's pan-Europe. That, and, that, that, I mean, and so everything's heading in that direction. We've got various digital wallets like BISM in Spain, for example, that are around different different markets. Some of them are stronger adoption than others, but with these new standards of real-time and digital capabilities, you start to see a homogenization a, a, you know, a, a, of those standards coming together so that a consumer and a merchant across the block can start to see, actually, I can make a payment like this here and make a payment like that there, and it all feels native to me and feels normal. So I think, and this is my last point, is that, that real-time and digital capability then I think is is going to start becoming the norm, I would think, within the next decade. So by the end of the 2020s, I would expect us to be much more seeing these transactions almost to the point where it becomes so obvious that that's what people are doing.
Mm -hmm. That's that's really interesting, and I think that time frame is is fascinating too in terms of this 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 real time and digital shift that you're talking about. This this big overarching theme, and just touching on that that question. I mean, when we look over the next ten years, and we look at perhaps the wider payments ecosystem, and I'm I'm really thinking of the full kind of full suite of players here. Is it right to think of um, perhaps winners and losers that are going to emerge? from within this new payments landscape? Is that the right way of looking at this question, do you think? Those that don't get on the curve are gonna lose out. Now, this is endless of players who could miss out on this, okay? But if I just maybe, I mentioned the mobile wallet providers, the likes of BISM, Ideal. I think those guys have got a real good opportunity coming up in the next sort of medium term, two to, two to five years. And so it's gonna be really, it's gonna, they, they will win out. I think those that have invested in some of the PSD2 capabilities, third-party processes, that sort of thing, if they continue to add on capabilities to those digital wallets and, and those real-time and digital capabilities that add value, that means consumers and merchants want to change their habits and want to adopt new technology to make a payment, I think they'll win out. But if I really focus in on the banks, I think the banks themselves, we're seeing, I mean, a lot of real good behavior in the banks. Not not everywhere, it's, it's you know, as you'd expect, but some real good kind of innovation, some um, fast fail capabilities, trialing things out in the marketplace. And I think what we're seeing is that as the banks collectively are doing this, they're seeing what works and what doesn't. And so as they start to move further out and put in place those digital wallet capabilities, either in their own app or the, their partner app, for them, it's going to be about how do I now add in additional value-add offerings? So those that are going to win out are those that don't just stop at making the payment. Just swapping somebody from doing a card transaction and doing something using a mobile phone could be interesting, mm. could be novel. Is it going to stick? Potentially, it could be significantly easier to use that, it creates that habit. But what we're seeing in other markets is it's typically more about, well, what else can you do there? Can you use it for identity purposes? Can you use it as your polling card when you're making a vote for the government, for example? Or can you do buy now, pay later? Can you buy something and then the bank then say, notice you've just bought a new TV. Would you like that over installments? Um, maybe you have a receipt management function that's bedded into the, in the bank app so that you can go and do things like returns and refunds, loyalty, loyalty um, offerings, things like that. So, and I think the banks who are out there already actively working with fintech and looking how can they create a, a digital launch pad for new capabilities, those are the guys that are going to win out here. Right. Okay. That's a really interesting space to watch, actually, isn't it? In terms of how that that evolves and 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 who kind of emerges on top. Really fascinating. And and Dean, the last question I wanted to ask you kind of builds perhaps on that some to some extent, which is really around the role of technology as a disruptive force um, in in the payments arena, I guess. And you know, we're seeing, I guess, more and more. Uh, cooperation between sort of fintechs and established financial institutions and payments groups. That's obviously an exciting development within the European sort of payment space, but also more generally, we're seeing other perhaps new and disruptive technologies like blockchain, for example, um, entering the sphere in other regions. And I'm just keen to understand from you, to what extent do you think some of those technologies might be either a, a threat perhaps or, or, or an aid to, to the traditional kind of payments infrastructure that exists. Um, you know, in Europe, obviously, as you spelled out here quite clearly, is a, is a very well-established infrastructure. New rails are being built. Um, there's quite a sophisticated ecosystem in place. Um, does technology represent a threat to all of that? It's a really good question. I'm, if I just cast the net back to 2006, I remember going out to Cartes in France and Paris, big conference. And I looked at two key trends. I looked at 
contactless payments and I looked at mobile payments and both of them at the time had a fair bit of traction but contactless was being launched mobile was was being trialed and it took 10 years for contactless in the UK to really get that traction and become that ubiquitous method and right. it, there was some big you know events like the, the the transport for London underground taking that on and adopting it that those sorts of, those sorts of activities really pushed it mobile didn't get adopted as fast nowhere near as fast because it was a trailing technology and so if i look at where we are at this consumer payments modernization forefront in the european in the european payments industry we've still got the tech that i mentioned digital wallets real-time request to pay that's been going on for the last what call it five years it's going to continue to carry on there are adoption curves happening now and we'll see that adoption continue so when you mention blockchain and you know the the, the the buzz term at the moment is the CDBC or the central bank digital currency. And so the central bank digital currency is just a, a way to take a blockchain concept and technology and turn it into some real digital currency that is backed by a central bank. And around the world, there's a number of these um, initiatives where the central banks are looking at this. There's been some good success. I mean, uh, there's been some cool statements being made, but I would say it's getting quite a lot of press attention right now. It, it is cool, I think. It's a, it, it would remove some of the infrastructure requirements that we see centrally and across, across the market. Um, and the European Central Bank just this week actually uh, went, sent out an article through Finextra just debunking some myths around centrally banked uh, you know, CDBCs. And I think a lot of the myths come from experiences or understanding of Bitcoin, which is kind of the first blockchain technology. So I'm not going to go down that down that route but just to say the ecb are starting to say well actually it's good for these reasons so they're doing that now bit of pr visa this week also published they've been using the tool for settlement so you've got some fairly big you know organizations saying this stuff pretty real but where will it and i think the question you're asking before is how, how you know is it a threat and i think it comes to timing so I think the market has already invested and continue pushing on, especially in Europe, the European Payments Initiative, EPI, will continue for the next few years, and then we'll see the ramp up. But when you get a new payments capability, timing is crucial. So if you think about pay payments, to get payments to a point where it becomes ubiquitous and it's adapted, it first takes time to align all the stakeholders. New technology comes along. You can do trials, you can put things in place, but to make it ubiquitous and adopted by the majority of the market, you have to first align the stakeholders, then it takes time to iron out any kinks in understanding, it takes time to design it, to implement it, to test it. And that's centrally, and then all the banks and then all the corporates and merchants and consumer apps, they'll all need to connect in and have to, have to test it. And then, and then it's about ramping up that adoption. So if I look at the contact that's taken about 10 years, uh, and we're about, call it, four or five years of real-time adoption i kind of if i was a crystal ball i kind of feel like we've got a few more years of bedding in these new technologies through uh, european payments initiative real-time digital request to pay wallet card etc and then i think what we'll start to see over the next few years is increasing amounts of well how can we make cdbc's work for us as well and looking for the magic use case that will get adoption for a consumer people like ourselves we probably don't care we don't want to see the, what's going on in the behind the scenes we just want to make sure it's good experience for us we get what we need and the, and the corporates and the merchants and billers that are using it are the same so i do think it's a i think it's a technology which is has a potential to be disruptive but i don't think as an industry we can afford to just disrupt something as critical as moving money around so i do think it's going to be more of a 
it'll be a choice element rather than a replacement element. Does, does that make sense? It does, yeah, and perhaps a, a, a slower burn development rather than something that's going to happen overnight or in the next next year. Or I, I think so. I mean, I, the the bit that I'm seeing is interesting. Everything we've talked about here has been very focused on the banking and the payments industry, but the one bit that I do see is a bit of a. If it, think, you mentioned technology and the disruptive disruptive force is you know Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon. They're all they've now got the capability to to tap into some of these these PSD2 APIs, they've got the ability to work with registered third-party processors. They, it's going to be interesting to see how they move to uh, work in the European market. Like we've seen some of them in India, for example, have become very prominent. We've seen them uh, Google launch last year in, in the US trying to do things through direct access to a bank account. So I think that could be where we see a bit of disruption. Maybe that's a topic for another conversation. Sure, next time for sure. That, that'd be really interesting. Well, um, Dean, thank you as always for your time. I really, really enjoyed that and uh, a lot of interesting uh, material there. And uh, we'll, we'll watch this space with interest. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Cheers, James.